Well, good morning, Vertical Life Church. How are we today? Amen. Awesome. Well, hopefully the coming attractions didn't um, scare anybody away, but we're going to have some fun today looking at the Word of God, especially in this season. Uh, just quickly, I have a few announcements for you. Immediately following our service this morning, we have a um, membership meeting for, uh, for our members. So if you're a, a member of Vertical Life Church, I would ask that for just a few moments that you stick around so that we can have a quick meeting. And this is a great way to plug our membership meeting coming up. If you've been coming for a while and you see this as being your church home, your church family, coming up on November 4th at 6 p.m. at my house, we're going to have our membership class where you can go all in with Vertical Life Church and become one of our team members, and, um, and that allows you to kind of uh, have more input and uh, investment into the life of Vertical Life Church. Also, uh, the bake sale's on today, so hopefully you stop by the bake sale table. That's for uh, raising funds for operations. Christmas child so that we can send the packages overseas that we'll be collecting donations for to children all around the world to help them encounter Christ maybe for the very first time this Christmas. And then also we are partnering with uh, New Covenant and uh, their Compassion Life Ministry for their orphanage in um, Swaziland. They are collecting shoes, pairs of shoes, not just single shoes, but pairs. So if you have one shoe and the other one has a hole in it, let, you know, keep, you know, throw that one out. But if you have an extra pair of shoes you don't wear anymore, or maybe you have kids and their shoes have, they've outgrown some shoes and you're willing to donate, please bring those to church and we will donate those. Uh, they need to be in by November 4th as well because the cutoff is just a few days after that where they have to be turned in. There's an organization that pays money for shoes, and so they're going to turn these shoes in for the money to help support that ministry as well. So those are a few things that we have coming up. Please don't forget the meeting after church. Uh, Some very important things we want to discuss with you. And uh, we have some very special guests in our church today. Um, this This is a new couple I want to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Brody Holmond. If you would stand up. Brody and Crystal got married uh, a little over a week ago. Now, Brody, how many days have you been married? All right. He's off to a good start. Good start. All right. I think this one's going to last. All right. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Congratulations to you all. So we are, we are getting into the Word of God. I just want to say welcome to Vertical Life Church. For those of you that are new, uh, we desire to build a church that is driven by love, that is committed, that, it, that is uh, com- driven by excellence, that is filled with God's Spirit. And we pray that every time you gather with us that it is an encouragement to you and that you encounter the presence of God because He is here. And uh, we're so thankful that you chose to spend some time with us today. Now, it is... That creepy time of year where people begin to deck their houses in some scary and uh, the images and, and decorations of the things of nightmares, the things that we pray all the rest of the year, God, don't let me dream about that, don't let me think about that. We seem to go to the store and start decorating our homes with, with spiders and spider webs and scary things. And this is the time of year where kids begin to beg their parents to spend way too much money on an outfit they're only going to wear one time, maybe one time, and then you have to spend the, the headache trying to resell it on all the Facebook resale sites. (laughs) 
you know, this is the Halloween season. And we've got some pretty strange customs here in America around Halloween. I mean, if you think about Halloween, this is one time a year where you allow your child to go door to door to random and weird strangers to knock on their door to receive candy, the same homes you would never let them go to any other time of the year. Right? It's, it's strange. It's, it's a weird thing that we do, but it seems to be all the rage in our nation. But uh, part of Halloween comes with an emphasis on ghosts and goblins and, and, and spooky things, monsters of various kinds. And it really seems, depending on what Hollywood or our culture is focusing on, that, that the, the monster of the year or the highlight is determined by what popular movie is out. Like a couple years ago, it was Witches and Wizards with Harry Potter. Uh, and then you had Vampires and Werewolves with the Twilight series. And now with The Walking Dead and, and and even Disney has gotten on the zombie bandwagon. There was a Disney movie called The Zombies, and my kids love that. They watched it on Netflix about 50,000 times. Now, when it comes to Disney movies, I think every Disney movie that comes out should come with medication for the parents. That's just how I feel because I don't know if your family's like mine, but we don't just watch the movie one time. We watch it over and over and over again. And then someone has the bright idea to ask grandma to buy probably the most heinous instrument, uh, instrument of torture for parents, which is a Disney movie soundtrack. And then put it, puts it on blast. It's in the car. It's in the, on the stereos at home. When Frozen came out, I think it almost had to be committed. So... Now, that's just where I, I'm at with that. But uh, the Disney movies, they got in on the action. There's a Disney movie called The Zombies. And so zombies this year seems to be uh, all the rage. And even our city here in Clio, for the first time ever, is doing a zombie walk. It's a fundraiser for a local charity. And so they're going to be doing a zombie walk through the, the Clio Park. And, and people will be dressing up like zombies and, and, and walking around town. So um, it's just a thing. But I don't know about you, but in all seriousness, even though zombies are quite popular this year, um, people really take this stuff seriously. I don't know if you spend any time, you know, on, on the internet seeing kind of the wacky stuff that's out there, but there are people that actually are preparing for the zombie apocalypse. Just like, you know, Y2K and, and others where the Mayan calendar was coming down to zero and people were, they were called doomsday preppers. They're like, okay, we're going to dig a hole in our backyard and we're going to fill it full of canned goods and, and, uh, and armory and, uh, and we're going to survive the apocalypse. They're doing this for the zombie apocalypse too. And you can go online and find all sorts of top 10 lists to help you prepare for the zombie apocalypse. Some of them are, are, are serious. Some of them are a little more humorous. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you like two different top 10 lists. So just in case you're, you happen to be found living during the zombie apocalypse, you can be prepared for it. So here's a more practical list. This comes from wonderlist.com. Number 10, you need to exercise regularly. Seems, you know, pretty practical. Two, you need to make knives and weapons your favorite collection. So get rid of the stamps, get rid of the, the little knickknacks, knives and weapons need to become your, your, your favorite collection. Number eight, make target shooting your hobby. Right? I, I don't know what, what you do, but target shooting, I think my family's going to be good, at least my wife's side of the family, my, my side of the family, not so much. But um, number seven, raise animals inside your property. Get some pigs, some cows, things that can help you survive. Number six, know how to use medicinal plants. 
seems pretty practical. Number five, learn to use renewable energy. Number four, have a deep water well on your property. Number three, know how to build a fire. Number two, stay in a well-vegetated area with plenty of fruit-bearing trees. And number one, build tall and sturdy walls. All very practical things to help you survive the zombie apocalypse. But there's another more philosophical list I came across that I thought you would get a kick out of. Number 10 on this list comes from geeks.media. It's considered the source, y'all. But geeks.media, number 10, it says, assess the situation. Whatever situation you're in, just assess that situation. Number nine, think about what everyone else would do and don't do that. Do the opposite. Number eight, find protection. Number seven, ladies and gentlemen, choose your weapons. We're going to war. Number six, know when and where to run. Number five, gather supplies. Number four, keep your allies close. Number three, find some means of transportation. Number two, kill them all and don't hesitate. And number one, be prepared for anything, right? If, if you've watched any kind of science fiction movie with zombies in it, you could see that, that most of this comes directly from our culture. And I think though most of us would read these lists for just a little giggle and then think nothing about it, there are those who are preparing for the worst possible scenario in our world, much like one of my favorite movies with Will Smith in it called I Am Legend, where he's the last person on earth and everyone else is zombified and crazy. You know, I think they really think that this is something that's going to happen and people lose sleep over this. And the thing about for more sane and rational minds is that we chalk this up to make believe just Hollywood hype. But what if I told you that the zombie apocalypse is not make-believe. What if I told you that the Bible 2,500 years ago prophesies of that very thing? Well, it does. And you're going to need much more than a top 10 list to survive. The zombie apocalypse is not just a topic for sci-fi movies. It is something that is actually going to happen. The prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament, who was a prophet of Israel between 520 and 518 BC, literally this year rounds off 2,500 years in the past. Long ago before Hollywood ever existed, Long before novelists with creepy minds like Stephen King ever were born and began to write probably what ruined the clowns for everyone, the, the story It, the movie It. Long before any of these guys ever roamed the earth, this prophet was receiving a vision and a word from God in Zechariah chapter 14. And in this prophetic vision, Zechariah is prophesying about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We know Jesus came at one time. He gave his life on the cross. He rose from death. And he told his disciples, fear not, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I'm coming back again. And when I come back, I will receive you to myself and you'll be with me forever. This is the second coming. This is the blessed hope that every follower of Christ is looking forward to. 
the day Jesus returns to set up his kingdom. And so the prophet Zechariah is prophesying about this very thing. And sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we kind of just read the story and, and lump it into the historical events that are taking place in that day. But we will see in this prophetic vision that Zechariah is revealing some of the very same events that John, the apostle, uh, 500 to 700 years later, revealed to us in the book of Revelation. And I want to show you, as we know the book of Revelation is talking about the end of the world, the apocalypse, the return of Jesus Christ, that this is the very same event that Zechariah is referring to. So we're going to begin reading in Zechariah chapter 14. If you have your Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn there. The words will also be on the screen. And if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can navigate to our uh, online events. The notes and verses should be there for reference. And I would encourage you to, to follow along. But here in Zechariah chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, here's what the Word of God reveals to us. Zechariah writes, Watch... For the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. And I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half of the population will be taken into captivity and the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. So the prophet Zechariah is, is revealing to uh, us some of the very things that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, that there'll be a time where there'll be wars and rumors of, rumors of wars. Nation will rise up against nation. And here he refers to something specific, to the gathering of all nations, to the gathering of nations to fight against the people of God and the city of God, the city of Jerusalem. And this is something John reveals to us in Revelation chapter 16, verse 16. In Revelation 16, 16, John reveals through his vision of the end times, it says the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. So in the last days, the days leading up to the time where Jesus is going to return, there are going to be demonic spirits that are unleashed into the world and they're going to corrupt and deceive and persuade and end up taking control of the world's armies, leading these militaries of the nations of the world to gather at this place called Armageddon or Megiddo. It's a, it's a mountain valley. It's also referred to as the Valley of Armageddon and it's just over 100 miles north of Jerusalem. So 100 miles north in this great valley, all the nations of the world will be gathered to fight against Jerusalem. And Zechariah says in chapter 14, verse 3, that they are going to attack, they are going to overrun and plunder the city. But it will only happen for a period of time until the Lord goes out and fights against his enemies and goes to fight for the people. And then he continued to describe what happens when the Lord Jesus fights against these nations in this battle of Armageddon. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, here's what he writes. He says, On that day, his feet, talking about Christ, will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. And you will flee through this valley, for it will reach across Azazel. 
Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. So Zechariah says when Jesus returns, when, when we see him coming out of heaven, he's going to touch uh, land. He's going to land on the Mount of Olives. That's just 3.5 miles uh, from Jerusalem. It's very close to the city. And there he will begin his fight to deliver his people from the hand of these wicked nations, these wicked armies. All the people and his holy ones will be with him. John reveals this also in Revelation 19, 11 through 15. John says this as he's seeing into heaven and the end times. It says, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there and its rider was named Faithful and True for he judges fairly the wages of a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understands except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. Who is the word of God, church? It is Jesus, John chapter 1. It says, The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod and will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like the juice flowing from a wine press. So here we see the very depiction that Zechariah is revealing to us, revealed in more detail by John the apostle, Zechariah is prophesying and John is confirming that Jesus is coming with all of the holy ones of heaven, the armies of heaven, to fight and strike down the nations that attacked Jerusalem. And they do so to release the wrath of God and his judgment on the earth. Zechariah continues in his prophecy in verse 6, and he says this. He says, On that day, the sources of light will no longer shine. Yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day and night, for at evening time it will still be light. And the Bible refers to us through the prophet Joel and others and even Jesus in the New Testament that during the time of the great tribulation, the moon, the stars, and the sun will be darkened. But Zechariah is telling us that when Jesus returns, there will be, there will be light. The world will be lit. Matter of fact, there'll be no more distinguishing between day and night. It will always be light. And it will be from a source that scientists cannot understand nor discover. You see, what scientists cannot understand or discover, God reveals to us in his word. He reveals to us the truth behind what is happening. Things that you can't discern in a lab or in a test tube, but God knows and God has revealed it. And what scientists can't understand, John reveals in Revelation 22 verse 5, he says this, there will be no more night, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. God will be the source of light because he is light. The one who spoke light into existence will be the very source of light for all the world. And Jesus is the light of the world. Zechariah reveals in verse 8 of chapter 14 that on that day, life-giving waters will flow out from Jerusalem, half toward the Dead Sea and half toward the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer 
and winter. So we have this river of life. Revelation 21, 6 through 7, John writes, And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of what? Water of life. Very same thing. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. I will be their God and they will be my children. So as we can see, as Zechariah is giving this vision, John is confirming the very same events in his apocalyptic vision. Zechariah is giving us a glimpse into the end times, the prophetic vision that John received from Jesus himself. And John records in his writing, in his apocalyptic vision, as this angelic messenger is speaking with him in Revelation 22.6. He says, Everything you heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will soon happen. The angel tells John, Everything you heard from the prophets in the past is about to come true. Write this down. It is faithful. You can take it to the bank. It's going to happen, including Jeremiah and Zechariah's prophecy. He's revealing the same message. So John, in his revelatory apocalyptic vision in the book of Revelation, is confirming the same message that the prophets gave us long ago. But Zechariah... In Zechariah chapter 14, does not just talk about the nations gathering and overrunning Israel and the return of Jesus to fight against the enemies of God and those that have set themselves up against the people of God. He doesn't just reveal where Jesus is going to land when he returns. He mentions something that's very specific that takes place after this so-called battle of Armageddon. After Jesus and all the holy ones of heaven fight against the armies of the world. And beginning in verse 9 of Zechariah 14, I want to read what Zechariah writes. He says this, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. I love that. Because finally, we're not going to have to have any more discussion. It's just going to be said, Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is God to the glory of the Father. And his name alone will be worshipped. All the land from Geba, north of Judah, to Rimmon, to south of Jerusalem, will become one vast plain. But Jerusalem, that was destroyed, will be raised up again in its original place, and all will be inhabited from the Benjamin Gate over to the side of the Old Gate, and then to the Corner Gate and the Tower of Hananel, to the King's Wine Press. And Jerusalem will be filled, safe at last, never to be cursed or destroyed. So Jesus returns. He re restores the city. He brings all of the people uh, to himself, all of his followers, all those who believed and trusted in him, all the people of God, and they dwell in safety in the land. Jesus has returned. He set up his throne in Jerusalem. The people dwell in safety. Now look what happens next in verse 12. It says, the Lord will send a what? A plague on all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Something to keep in mind is that Jerusalem is not just the physical city. We could hop on a plane and fly right now to Jerusalem, but the Bible tells us that as the children of God, we are also citizens of heaven, and our citizenship is in the new Jerusalem. 
We see this in the end of Revelation as the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven and God dwells with his people forever and forever and forever. So not only is there an actual place called Jerusalem, but there is a new city, a heavenly Jerusalem, where we are all citizens that we belong to. And so the nations of the world aren't just fighting against this physical place. They are fighting against all of the people of God. Everyone. And so there, the wrath of the nations, the wrath of the Antichrist, the wrath of Satan has been targeting the people of God, not just physical, but also spiritual Jerusalem. And so when the Lord sends this plague, it's going against all who fought against Jerusalem, both physically and spiritually. And I just want to throw this out as a side note because we have some elections coming up. And I don't know what side of the aisle you're on, but as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is imperative that we elect leaders who are going to honor God. It's imperative. Just looking at this text, it says the Lord will send a plague in all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. How were the militaries and the armies of these nations sent to fight against the Lamb and His people? The people elected leaders who sent those armies. And because those leaders sent the armies to fight against the people, the nations, the countries now have to reap the consequences of the very thing they chose to do. There is a spiritual reality that depending on who we put in office and the decisions they make and the way they lead our nation, we will reap the consequences of judgment that come upon our nation because of who we place there. It's a very real reality. It is important as children of God that we not only know who we're voting for, but what the issues are, but know who is going to best represent our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when they get to Washington, to Lansing, you name it. It's vital. It's important. But as this plague is sent on all the nations that fought against Jerusalem, look at what it says. And again, referring to these nations, it says their people will become like what? Walking corpses, their flesh rotting away. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, they will be terrified, stricken by the Lord with great panic, and they will fight their neighbors hand to hand. It's what we see in the movies, what we see on television. People with rotting flesh, fighting, clawing, gnashing, at one another. The wealth of the neighboring nations will be captured. Great quantities of gold and silver and fine clothing. It says this same plague will also strike the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and all other animals in the enemy camps. When God gathers his people, sets up his kingdom, and protects his people in the city of Jerusalem, a plague is going to go out across the whole world that's going to zombify the nations and they are going to rip each other apart. And again, which nations fight against the Lord? In Revelation 16, 14, John tells us that the demonic spirits who work miracles that deceive the nations go out to all of the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day. All the nations. There is not one that's exempt. America is one of these nations. The deception that we have 
many times is that we believe we're untouchable, that we're not able to be brought down because the size of our military or because we're a Christian nation. But the Bible says all nations will be deceived and every nation is going to suffer this plague. Every nation, every country, every people group will suffer this curse. But as fierce and as daunting and as as scary as the possibility of an actual real world zombie apocalypse or judgment of God, with the judgment of God also comes the grace of God. Revelation 16 verse 15 says, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. This is Jesus speaking. It says, blessed are those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Who is it that walks around naked and ashamed? Those who are suffering the curse. But there are those who don't have to fear that. There are those who don't have to worry about the curse. There are those who don't have to walk around naked and ashamed. It is those who are watching and keeping their clothes ready. There is a guaranteed way to survive, not only survive, but avoid the zombie apocalypse altogether. And it has nothing to do with marksmanship, resources, skills, or Hollywood hype. Jesus as he's talking about the end of the world in Matthew 25, 31, here's what he says. The way to avoid everything, the way to avoid the curse, the way to avoid the zombie apocalypse has everything to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of his angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on the left. If you keep reading, you'll see that the sheep are the ones that go into God's grace, love, and glory. The goats are the ones that go into the judgment. And if you continue on in chapter 25, you'll see that the reason why the sheep go into the glory is because they had a relationship with Jesus. They saw his need and they met his need and they served the Lord while the goats ignored him and lived their very own life. The beauty about a relationship with Jesus is not that we just get to serve God. That's an amazing privilege. But it's not that just we get to serve God, but we've become adopted into his family. We've become his children. We get to experience his overwhelming love and grace as he forgives our sins and renews our mind and hearts. He traded our filthy rags for his righteousness. In Romans 8, chapter 1 and 2, or Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What we have in Jesus is far greater than what we give to him. The reason why those who are saved meet his needs is because they are living a transformed life, a life lived in thankfulness to God for giving Jesus as the substitutionary sacrifice in our place on the cross, for putting all the wrath and judgment that was coming our way due to sin on his son. And by giving the life that was due Christ, the the righteousness and the glory that was due Jesus, putting that then on our account. And when you realize what God has done for you, when you realize what you have in Christ and who you are as a child of God, it overwhelms you with thankfulness to live a life of wholehearted worship. Hallelujah. 
When you realize what God has done for you and what benefits come with Jesus and choosing Jesus to be your Lord and Savior by surrendering to him to live for his will and the, to experience the love, hope, and divine purpose that he has for you, it changes your perceptions, your motivations, and the very fabric of your life. When you become filled with the Spirit, you become an empowered witness that can help others experience the very same thing. You begin to live as the hands and feet of Christ in the world. You get to be a party to the miracles and the majesty of his power when he uses you to change somebody else's life. Maybe to be healed, maybe to be restored, maybe to be saved. When you understand that as a child of the most high God, God will never leave you or forsake you, that there's nothing you can do. He loved you in the depths of the darkness and depravity of your own heart. There's nothing that you can do to push him away. He's chasing you down and he'll never leave you or forsake you. It changes things. What we have in Jesus is far greater than anything we could give to Jesus. And it is those who make the choice to choose Jesus as their Lord and Savior It is those whom God protects. It is those whom God delivers from enduring the curse of the zombie apocalypse. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 through 18, Paul, as he's writing to the church of Thessalonica about the end of days, he says this, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him believers who have died. And we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. What Paul just got done telling the church at Thessalonica is when that trumpet sounds and the heavens part and the glory of God is seen coming on the clouds, there is going to be a call to gather up everyone who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ from the dead to the living. We're going to meet Jesus in the air and we will be under the protection of the Almighty for all eternity. Amen. If you're in Christ... Jesus is coming on a rescue mission to get you. He's coming to rescue. And when he comes, he will gather you to himself. I want to close with one final passage out of Psalm 91. This is out of the message version. It's a passage of scripture that has meant a lot to me in in recent time. But it speaks to the protection of God for his children. In Psalm 91, beginning in verse 1, here's what it says. You who sit down... In the high God's presence. Spend the night in Shaddai's shadow. Say this, God, you're my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing. Not wild wolves in the night, not flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls through the darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others succumb all around, drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze you. 
You'll stand untouched. Watch it all from a distance. Watch the wicked turn into what? Corpses. Yes, because God's your refuge. The high God, your very own home. Evil cannot get close to you. Harm cannot get through the door. For he ordered his angels to guard you wherever you go. This is the blessing of the church. This is the blessing and the promise of our God that when judgment day comes, we will endure blessing, not cursing, protection, not harm, all the days of our life. As we close, I just want to ask every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. In the quietness of this moment, as the music begins to play, as fantastical as these things are, it is a sobering reality that one day Jesus will return. And when he returns, two things are going to happen. He's going to gather the sheep and he's going to cast away the goats. And in the quietness of this moment, I just want each and every one of you to really seek the Lord and pray, God, who am I? Am I your child? Or am I one who's been wandering away? Lord, what are you saying to me? And if you're here today, and maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you have believed in God, but you've never truly surrendered your life and your heart. You've never really begun a relationship with God that has transformed how you think about this world, the love of God in your life, experiences peace, his joy, and his hope, that you just continue to try to do good things, maybe to keep God from being upset with you. You don't really know who you are as a child of God because you've never truly accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to pray a prayer with me today to begin that relationship and transform your life. In, in John, and in his letters to the church, he says that if there is fear of judgment, it's because you've never truly experienced God's love. For perfect love casts out all fear. If contemplating the end of days or contemplating your last moments in life brings fear, it's because you've never truly experienced the love of God, the love of God in found in Christ Jesus. And if you want to experience God's love, you want a transformed life, you want to become a new creation, and you want to join God in the clouds when Jesus returns, then right here, right now, just speaking out loud, pray this with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me of my sins. I place my faith and trust in Jesus. I trust in him as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for taking my sins away. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. From this day forward, I pledge my life to serve Jesus and to live as his witness now and forever. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you prayed that prayer today for the very first time, I just want to 
pray for you. I want to pray a blessing over you. I'm not going to point you out or, or make a spectacle. But if you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, I prayed that. Maybe I rededicated my life. I've been away from God, and I just want to recommit my life. If you prayed that, raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you. I thank you that your word always has an effect. I thank you, God, that you speak truth. And I thank you, Lord, for those that prayed, those that that gave you their life and their heart today. God, I pray in the name of Jesus a blessing on them that they would encounter your love right now. Holy Spirit, come and fill their hearts and minds. God, let peace fill their heart. Cast away all fear in the name of Jesus. God, I call forth their identity in Christ as a citizen of heaven that they would recognize who they are, that, that they are not their sin, that they are saved, that they are not their past. God, that they are pressing into the promise of fulfilled purpose in their future. God, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus, a total transformation. Where there once was discouragement, Lord, fill them now with joy. Where there once was, what was tension in their spirit, God, fill them with the peace that passes all understanding. And I thank you, God, for how you're going to use them to be a light in this world. In the name of Jesus, amen.